Hello and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer from Hackettstown, New Jersey, from Cat Swamp Road. And it's still pretty cold here. It was uh, 30, well, 34 on the Davis Vantage View weather station this morning and about 30 mile per hour winds. And it was like, felt like February instead of uh, the end of April when I'm recording this. But I think when this show, I'm recording it a couple of days early and this show won't post it already be uh, May. But last year, I remember when I went to go get my fertilizer, my fertility down in Maryland at the mill, that I had to, uh, I hit snow going down there. So so I guess it's not crazy. I guess it's just life here in the Northeast. And uh, sometimes we get real warm weather. Sometimes we get uh, chillier weather. But my cover crop is looking beautifully. And hopefully everything is going well with you in your life and in your occupation and your farm and whatever you happen to do we have listeners in all different walks of life but we have a commonality i would say probably 90 percent of the audience is involved in production agriculture in some way shape or form or maybe or production agriculture and have a job in town which is very very common today so uh but hopefully things are going well with you there's no uh no seed in the ground here in warren county that i am aware of but uh so maybe there is, if somebody did put it in, it's certainly not popping up. Not, corn is not popping up with 34 degrees mornings and, you know, 40-something degree soil temperatures. There's a couple of guys that put sweet corn under plastic down the road from me, about five or six miles each way, maybe seven miles, well, 10 miles one way and five or six miles the other way. And I, when I rode by the other day, I did not see anything under plastic yet. But uh, who knows, maybe it's there right now, right? Things change in a heartbeat, that's how life is. But I, I, uh, I don't think I got a pin in my map this week. So, uh, But if you want to get a pin in my map and that puts you in the drawing for a Hot Rod Farmer license plate, all you have to do is email me at hotrodfarmer at farmmachinerydigest.com. And I, uh, those emails come through, and then also you can go to my website. It's probably the best place to do is go to my website, farmmachinerydigest.com. Forget about the hot, I mean, you could do the hot rod farmer email, but there's a form on there, and just fill that out and submit that, and I will have you, and I'll have all your contact information. And so um, if you win, I could reach right out to you, and you could expect to get that license plate. So that is uh, great. I'd greatly appreciate it, and I'd love to know where you listen from. But we do have two winners, right? Even though we didn't get a pin, we have winners. And I got my paperwork here. You could hear me shuffling my papers. And we have a longtime listener to the show, Mr. Gary Harrier from Ithaca, Michigan. And I'm quasi-familiar, well, not with Ithaca per se, but I've been in that neck of the woods quite often in St. John's and um, Okimos or Okimos however they pronounce it, I pronounce it Okimos, so that Gary is not too far from there in Ithaca, based upon my pin in the map that he gave me a long, long time ago. And then we, then Mr. Mitch Lazenby, and he's down in Auburn, Alabama, and I actually was able to connect with Mitch at the, uh, he came up to me at the uh, National Farm Machinery Show in Kentucky, and introduced himself as a listener. But I think that he listens on the radio, but I may be wrong. But you'll be announced, both names will be announced on 
both the radio show and Idle Chatter podcast. But those gentlemen, please reach out to me. And I know I have your email addresses somewhere, but I it may, may not be able to find them. So just reach out to me at hotrodfarmer at farmmachinerydigest.com and let me know your mailing address and I will get those license plates out. Lickety split. So, uh, and hopefully the post office will do the same thing. You know, I used to have, and, uh, and I'm, and I'm, pro- and this is no disrespect that I always say that because, you know, it's these, I, I never have a problem with, with rank and file people if they're doing their job. And I'm not saying the post office isn't doing their job, but something really changed there. And uh, it changed, you know, a couple of years ago. And I don't know what changed, but uh, I mean, we just have so much problems with the mail. And I sent two license plates to the other side of Warren County. I actually could have driven them there in 20 minutes. But Sam Santini, who was a National Corn Winners Association, and I've had, I did an on-the-road podcast with him. And uh, his two grandchildren... Sam, uh, his, the grandson is named Sam also, and last name is Barlieb, and uh, their granddaughter, her name is Reagan Barlieb, they actually listen to the radio show, the two kids, and the, 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 the little boy, Sam, he's a pistol, I was actually thinking about putting him on an, on an episode of On the Road, because I mean, he, he's just, <laughs> he's just a pistol, I actually met them uh, on the plane going to Commodity Classic a number of years ago. I mean, I knew of them, and we saw each other at uh, growers' meetings, but I, I didn't know him per se. And hello, how are you? And then, uh, but the grand the grandchildren were sitting by me and going to California, Commodity Classic in California. But anyway, so but little Sam is a real pistol, and you know he comes up to me, hey Ray, what's going on? What's happening at the farm? And you know he, he just shoots off things like that to you, and his personality plus personality plus so i and he loves farming he i mean so he's really he's i don't know if he's eight or nine years old now i lose track of that but maybe 10 not much more than that and uh but he's so passionate about farming you know and he's uh i guess you just got to see him so i wanted i was thinking about putting him on an episode of on the road because right on the road is passionate people and he's passionate about farming so uh, I don't know. What do you guys think? So I know a number of you listen to On the Road. So what do you think? Do you think I should do an episode with a eight or nine year old, ten year old future farmer that's passionate, passionate about agriculture and passionate about farming, or should I just let it slide? So I'll wait to hear from you. So you send me an email and let me know, and I could contact. I don't know whether he'll. I mean, I think he'll do it, but I don't know if the. Uh, if, the, if his mother wants him to do it. But anyway, the point that I'm getting at about the post office, so that, so if Sam and his sister listened to the show, and I told them I would, you know, that I would announce their name, I mean, they're little kids, announce the name, and they they win a hot rod farmer license plate, and I announced it on the podcast and the radio show. And uh, they listen, they get all the grandmother contacts me, Sam, uh, Sam Santini, the, the corn grower, his, his uh, wife, Chris, contacts me. So they listen, they heard their name on the radio, and I want to inspire the kids. I mean, that's really what this is all about, education, and to, to inspire someone to aspire to something in life, whatever that something may be. So I said to Chris, that's the grandma, I said, oh, I, I said, I'll mail them to the kids. I'll mail them separately. So Because children today don't get mail. 
I mean, we when we were young, I mean, we got mail. Somebody sent us a card, or I got magazines in the mail today. They don't even know what it's like to get mail. The parents pay stuff online, and uh, everything is emails. So I said, I'll, I'll mail it to them, to two separate envelopes, so they could actually see the envelope come with their name on it. So I go right over here to the Alamucci Post Office. They both mail them, all right, to the other side of Warren County. I could have driven it there in less than a half hour. Mail it to them. Uh, same house, same, everything is exactly the same. Ten seconds apart going on the postal scale. And Reagan gets hers, Sam doesn't get his. So so, the, so Carly, their mom, sent me a picture, and they put they have four-wheelers, so she put it on, they put on Reagan's four-wheeler, and, and Sam didn't get his yet. So I said, geez, uh, I mean, they were very nice about it, but I said, that's crazy, I sent it. So it took another day to get to the, to, get to, uh, to, to the same address. I don't know. And I've had so many problems, but anyway, whatever. No disrespect to anybody who was a letter carrier, because you're just a troop in the field, but there's something going on with that management there that I don't know what it is. And I used to have the highest esteem for the post office as a as an entity. And uh, like I said, if you're a troop, if you're a letter carrier, you're just a like a grunt soldier in in a in in the in a foxhole. It's the generals that are screwing everything up, not you. But that's it. So anyway, so we will see what happens if the post office gets this to Gary Harrier and Mitch Lazenby over in uh, Gary in Michigan and Mitch over in Auburn, uh, I was going to say Indiana, Auburn, Alabama. Now, the other thing is that we're going to have a little bit of a different show today because we're actually going to have two topics. And I've never done a show with two topics, but I want to really address, I did the episode last week about octane and then there was a letter uh from a actually a, a reader from i think it was hemming's was hemming's muscle machines i believe and uh it's it's like i say i get it's hard sometimes i'm saying respectfully not like braggadocio oh i got some of my letters i don't know where they come from but <laughs> but the thing is that it was about uh back pressure and removing catalytic converters from a mustang it was a v6 mustang that that the person autocrossed that's what it was and he was out in ohio and the car was a 97 if i recall and he didn't have to worry about any emissions and he was concerned with with killing low-end torque because he had heard that back pressure is required to make low-end torque. And then another charter listener, great guy that I never met, hopefully meet him one day, Bruce, I'm going to kill your last name, Jack Ubarkus, who from, I can never remember if he's from New England. He's from New England. I, I can never remember if he's from New Hampshire or Rhode I think it's New Hampshire. I get those two areas confused. But anyway, Bruce, Bruce, another great guy, very, very knowledgeable. And, uh, he wrote me a letter, and because uh, he listened to, he enjoyed it, enjoyed the show about Octane, and he li- and also enjoyed the podcast with Matt. I'm going to say Matt Helm. That was uh, the American James Bond, Matt, Matt Hagen, the NHRA funny car guy in Farmer. So he enjoyed that, and and he had some confusion. I shouldn't say confusion. I probably confu- I confused him about uh, an H pipe and crossover and back pressure. And Bruce is a, is, a, is, a, is a great metric for me because if I, you know, if he reaches out to me with something, then if I, if I didn't explain it well and with his knowledge that he didn't grasp it, 
and there's probably a lot of other people who didn't grasp it also. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit more about back pressure. And as I used to say in front of the judge with a spinning ticket, guilty with an explanation, that I probably didn't do a good enough job on explaining or answering that person's letter, but I wanted to just answer his question because I have a habit, my wife says, of rolling people's eyes up in their head because they ask me a simple question and I go into this theory. So I just wanted to answer that reader's question about whether the whether the, the catalytic, take off the catalytic converters is going to kill his bottom end. And uh, that's that was all it was about. I didn't want to get into a lot of physics, and also to, it was that I answered letter. I answered the letter. I answered those letters at the end of the show, and I was already over an hour. And I don't. I want to be respectful of your time, and you don't want to listen to me for an hour and a half. So uh, that's crazy. I don't want to listen to me either for an hour and a half. So that's guilty with an explanation. But I want that the purpose of reintroducing that letter was to give uh, to answer his question and help him, and also enlighten the audience, and then maybe just give you a little bit more information. So what we're going to do is that we're going to address that a little bit more. And that's compliments of Bruce up there in New England. And then the second part of the show is I'm going to talk about coolant. And I've discussed coolant many times before, but you know, people call it antifreeze and it's really coolant. Yes, one component of it means that it doesn't freeze. So that's great, right? But the thing is that most of the time people, especially in the in the Northeast, or in the, the, I shouldn't say the Northeast, in the climates where, there's a, where there is a winter, not down in Florida, but where there is an actual winter, uh, they think of it as they call it antifreeze instead of coolant, and they are concerned with it as the temperature, the mercury starts to drop, and are not really concerned with it in the summertime and in the warmer weather. And for the people who live and farm down in the warmer climates, I don't know when you're concerned with it, to be quite honest with you, if you're ever even concerned with it. So that's something we're going to address. So it's going to be a two for one here today, and hopefully you like it. But I'm going to get a, uh, I'm going to put my, uh, I'm putting my drag race motor on my top fueler and get a drink of water and clear my throat. Alrighty, I'm, <clears throat> I'm back. I didn't kill a mic. I forgot to do that. So, uh, Jason, I didn't kill a mic. I know Jason from uh, out in Long Island says, hey, you didn't kill a mic. So he could hear me clearing my throat. But I don't think I really cleared it too much this time. But anyway, so let's start, start to, let me do a better job of, uh, I don't think I forgot anything else. Let me look at my notes here. I just make like a scratch list of notes. So I can't even read my handwriting half the time. But anyway, uh, no, I think I covered everything I wanted to. So let's let's in, let's reintroduce this back pressure deal. And when you look at the way an engine breathes and the way an engine exhausts, so cylinder fill and cylinder emptying at a proper names, is that. It's very easy for us, and me included, I'm no different than anybody else, to look at it as something that is very that is steady state. So if you're going down the, let's say you're going down the road or you're, you're working in the field and you have the tractor set at 1,500 RPM, whatever, whatever, 1,000 RPM, excuse me, whatever the number may be, you're going down the highway and you're locked in at a steady 65 miles per hour, or you're sitting in town at a stop sign or a traffic light and the engine is idling at six or 700 RPM, 
is that in our mind, all right, that is steady state operation, but what we do is we convert that and into thinking that everything in the engine, specifically with the cylinder filling and the, the cylinder emptying, even more importantly, is just as steady. And that is not the case, especially especially when it comes to exhaust and looking at the theory of exhaust exiting an engine. So you cannot think of it as steady state because the tachometer is steady state, or even if it doesn't have a tachometer because the engine is idling. So you could have a, a lawnmower and it's running, and uh, well, that's one cylinder, so but still, well, that's still accurate. It just kind of skews it a little bit. Is that uh, because the throttle is fixed? We're thinking of a steady state. So that's really where things become complicated. Is that you have to realize that when you're looking at the cylinder emptying the dynamics of the cylinder emptying on uh the pumping loop because remember that's not really the exhaust stroke it's the pumping loop that it has pressure waves so even though it's steady state an engine speed may be steady state the exhaust itself is not coming out steady state it's 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 exiting in in pressure waves and these pressure waves are going to be tr be transported from the exhaust port of the cylinder head through whatever exhaust system you have if you have a turbocharger there there's going to be a pressure different pressure on one side of the comp of the turbine wheel than the other side but we're going to just talk about normally aspirated not that it makes much of a difference because everything i'm going to say is going to apply that also so it's not steady state and we can't think of it in a in a steady state form that the, that there's a series of pressure waves that are happening in the exhaust system and they, they're happening from the different cylinders firing and depending upon the rpm even at a very slow idle speed that they're still having these pressure waves enter the exhaust system so now cylinder one is not impacting in theory cylinder four but it may be and i'll get into that but the exhaust system is seeing these pressure waves these these like like waves coming in at the beach and if you uh, even if you never uh, don't live near the ocean every wave is not going to be exactly the same some will have more force to them some have a little bit less force some may be bigger some may be slow they'll be close to being the same but they're not exactly the same like snowflakes right so the thing is that it's going to have these pressure pressure waves now what's going to happen and i is that there is something called a, a rare a <clears throat> a rare faction not fraction a rare r-a-r-e-f-a-c-t-i-o-n rare faction wave and a rare faction wave has low pressure and low volume low density so within the exhaust system you're going to have these rare faction waves and that's a wave that has low pressure and the density of the exhaust gas is not going to be as it's not going to be as dense so the density is not going to be as as high if that's a proper way for me to say it so the thing is that you have all of this <clears throat> you have all of this going on now the other thing to come into play is that remember we can on any engine we cannot have an exhaust event without an intake event right you can't you, i mean you can't write checks without putting money in the bank so you need to have an intake event 
and to have an exhaust event. And in between that, you need to have a combustion event, or as I always say, it's an expansion event. So if you, um, if you had no expansion event, you could still have an exhaust event, all right, because you would just be pumping the air through the engine. So, and as I've mentioned many times in this show before, there is a test instrument called a motoring dyno, M-O-T-O-R-I-N-G, like motoring down the road, and that's running an engine with no combustion. It's the air being pumped in and out of the engine, and it's it's spun with a big electric electric motor. And I uh, the the sound of an engine. I mean, I'm saying like a race engine on a motoring dyno, winging up to seven, eight, nine thousand RPM. You would swear on a stack of Bibles that it's got that that's running, There's, and it's just it's got it's got no no combustion whatsoever. There's no fuel. It's got no spark. There's no, well, even if it had spark, it's above, and there's nothing there to ignite, and uh, it's just pumping air in and out. So now, once we recognize that this is not a steady state linear event, that it's got these these pressure peaks and waves coming coming out through the exhaust system. We'll now talk about back pressure. Back pressure is a resistance to flow. That's all that's all boils down to. So if you actually were to look at, let's say that you had a uh, a nozzle on a hose and maybe this is not a good example but let's say you had a nozzle on a hose and it was set for a stream all right so you'd have one pressure before the restriction you'd have another pressure after the restriction so back pressure in an exhaust system is is the resistance to flow so if you have back pressure what it's going to happen is that the the flow is going to slow down and prior to the resistance it's going to have a higher pressure and then on the other side of the resistance once it passes through it's going to have a lower pressure and that is why if you look at exhaust theory and it is a theory because there's a lot of dynamics involved so it's just like a doctor says he practices medicine well you're practicing exhaust theory there's a basic tenant that's foundational but there's a lot of things that change based upon the engine uh, the camshaft design, the RPM, the throttle. I'm going to get into that quickly, but I'm not going to belabor you with it, but I want to give you a little bit more than I did before. Well, last week. So what's, so what's happening is that the further you get away from the exhaust port of the cylinder head, so the furthest that you could get away from the exhaust port on any engine application is the tailpipe where it enters atmosphere, where it sees daylight, where the exhaust sees daylight, right? Now, whether that's on a on a, a semi-truck and it's 30 feet long or whether it's on, on a lawnmower and it's four inches long on a one-cylinder engine, but the further that you have a restriction, which in theory would create back pressure, the further that you have a restriction away from the exhaust port of the cylinder head because that's where it all starts the exhaust port is on that the less impact it's going to have on the engine's performance so in theory right if you were to go and you were to to stuff or whatever some rags in the end of the tailpipe and let some of the exhaust out then what would happen is that yes it's going to have some effect it won't have effect It'll, it won't have an immediate effect there'd be a, a, a second or two delay but depending upon how much you restricted that exhaust at the tailpipe far away from the exhaust port and the speed of the engine 
and the volumetric efficiency of the engine. You have to remember when the throttle is closed and the engine is idling, there's only maybe four, five, six, ten per let's say ten, I don't know, ten percent, not even ten percent volumetric efficiency. So you don't have that much volume in exhaust that's coming out, and it's does and it doesn't pose as much of a problem because what happens is that length of pipe becomes almost like a like a a, a storage a storage uh, container. Yes, eventually you'll fill up that storage container and you could stall the engine and make it slow down. And why does it slow down when you plug the exhaust like that? Is because, as I said last week, on blowdown, as soon as the exhaust valve cracks open, you have, you're trying to eliminate as much pressure or equalize the pressure. And what doesn't equalize, you have to push out with the piston. So if the piston has to work, and that's why it's called the pumping loop, if the piston has to take more energy because you've got a rag stuffed in the exhaust, the tailpipe way at the end, then it's going to slow the engine down. All right, so, so basically, in essence, we have that there. So once we establish the fact that it is it is not steady state that you that the, that there's waves pressure waves and there's pressure waves and there's rare fa- r- rare like very rare meat rare faction waves which are going to have a lower pressure and lower density so this is all coming into this exhaust system and now we have something there that is creating an opposition to flow so just like a resistor in an electrical circuit an opposition to flow so we have in this particular instance of the letter a catalytic converter and the catalytic converter is close coupled to the exhaust port right so so if so so let me well let me not back up let me redirect so keep that in mind all right so now the question was that there's an old wives tale and i'm using that term respectfully that if you don't have enough back pressure you you remove back pressure that you are going to uh, kill some of the low end on an engine and i told the gentleman that don't worry about that and i just wanted to tell him i said them don't even bother take the catalytic converters off because unless they're plugged or i don't say they're plugged partially plugged they're not really offering creating a restriction and for uh autocross i think it was autocrossing uh in and out of the throttle it's it's not there now if the converters was was starting to plug a little bit then until you've reached enough exhaust volume at a higher rpm you're not going to re- even feel that restriction like plugging the tailpipe at idle all right putting a putting a, a ice a, a rig in a tailpipe at idle so it all depends but now let's go back from this and let's continue on back at the induction side so the thing because you can't exhaust what you don't bring in now keep in mind that an engine and this mustang or an engine that you have on the farm other than an irrigation engine or on a lawnmower or a lawn tractor or something at steady state and i've done a show on steady state versus transient is that you are going to have different throttle angles and different levels of volumetric efficiency different levels of cylinder fill and every engine makes has peak volumetric efficiency when it produces peak torque that's when the cylinder is filled the most so now when you have a steady state engine then you're going to have one level of volumetric efficiency because it's one throttle angle one speed and a steady state engine is very easy to design a any everything for camshaft profile carburetor throttle body fuel injector jetting exhaust system because it only has to work work efficiently at one one engine speed and one throttle setting 
Now, the the old wives' tale of saying, well, you know, if you if you have that an engine likes a little bit of of back pressure. Well, I was debunking that, but I'm going to put a slight caveat. I'm not backing up on it. I'm putting a slight caveat. Is that you have to recognize that that a that a transient operation engine is a compromise. So the thing is that will this will a, will an engine particularly like a little bit of back pressure? Well, very very possibly. All right, then I'm not I'm not confusing you. Hopefully, very very possibly at one set of scenarios. So to go and say that it that it's going to want a little back pressure at, at low speeds because it's going to uh, uh, it want, otherwise you're going to kill some torque. That is a false statement, and that's what I was addressing. Now, if you were to take an engine and you varied the back pressure and you had it on a dyno. And you said, okay, fine, and I'm going to make up some some ridiculous numbers. At 900 RPM at full throttle, we made 50 foot-pounds of torque, whatever, whatever the engine is. It's not this Mustang. All right, and we put a little back pressure in it, and we made 51 foot-pounds of torque at that and I, but at a thousand rpm when we had the same when we had the additional back pressure we lost we lost two pound, foot pounds of torque so the thing is that you could look at be like you going in the field uh, let, and i always used a reference of a corn because i'm a corn farmer right you look at the field well look at this point over here baby i got 550 bushels right here all right well what does the rest of the field have well the rest of the field's got 250 between 250 and 280 but right here right here it's 550 right so i'm not going to say that you can't find one point but in the practical application for a vehicle that's driven on the road a vehicle that's raced a farm tractor a combine whatever engine on your irrigation pump whatever you want to talk about it all right is that back pressure is going to be in opposition to flow and collectively it is going to reduce the power can you find one slight rpm window that it, that it made three more foot pounds of torque on a 100 horsepower engine possibly but you're not operating at that you're going right through that all right now the other thing that comes into play is that keep in mind that you have a uh you can't exit what you don't what you put in so if you have 900 rpm at wide open throttle because you're loaded in on a dyno right and you could do that with a water breaker any current you could bring that thing right down there and almost stall it versus 900 rpm at only 30 percent throttle the dynamics of that pressure wave and 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 that rarefaction wave completely change completely change all right so so the thing is that but if you look at an engine collectively it's not going to want that back pressure and for you so for you to come and say at low rpm i'm going to lose torque if i have if i if i take with a back pressure a hundred percent wrong can you find one spot in that field that made 500 bushels per acre possibly or maybe you cannot even find that so it's a dynamic of throttle angle piston velocity and the exhaust system but just like i don't want my nose plugged you don't want your nose plugged either and neither does the engine now so you so now to answer the question of that well maybe at this one scenario that i made minimal amount of difference in torque minimal all right so you're not going to uh 
like I say, it's the velocity, as I said in that question, the exhaust velocity. Not, not, it's, it, you change the exhaust velocity. It wasn't the elimination of the back pressure. Well, what basically happens is that, <clears throat> excuse me, is that you have these pressure waves and you have these rarefaction waves. Now, <clears throat> if sometimes there is going to be back pressure in the exhaust, or unless you're running, and, and uh, boy, I got to get a, a drink of water. Excuse me. I'm going to hit the dragster. Sorry about that. I don't know what that happened to my throat. <clears throat> no back pressure. But anyway, what's going to happen is that you have these events happening with all these different pulses. So on the one, so on the four, so on the eight, depending whether it's an inline engine or V-shaped engine, the number of cylinders. Now, depending upon the design of the exhaust system you may and what i mean uh, this is probably more the exhaust manifold the length that it comes out of each exhaust port is called a branch length like a branch on a tree and years ago you used to have these log manifolds they were terrible right so they were terrible as far as the design was concerned but they packaged very easily they limited under hood temperature all right there was there was positives to it but what can happen at a certain operating scenario is that you could have this rarefaction wave back up into a different exhaust port which uh, 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 from the manifold into the head so now what you did is you created because of this 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 it reverberated it went backwards all right because it couldn't get out and that caused a low pressure all right almost like a cavitation you'd have on a pump like a low pressure there so when that exhaust valve opened the pressure was substantially higher than then it be then right there in the exhaust port because this rarefaction wave backed up there because it got plugged up with a little bit of back pressure and that cylinder emptied easier was more efficient emptying so but then again you'd have to have everything line up perfectly and on a on a transient engine for that is really it may happen at one just like one spot in the field it may happen at one throttle angle one load and one rpm because so so there's a lot of dynamics there but if you look at it collectively it doesn't want back pressure but there is an instance so if you were to if you were to map this engine all right and say not at wide open throttle you may have an instance like i said 12 percent throttle at 1500 rpm that it makes three more foot pounds of torque but right after when you go to 13 percent throttle it lost three with the back pressure because ultimately it's still you need to evacuate that cylinder so now so hopefully that makes sense so when you look at it is that back pressure is is not something that you want but there's a very very small window of an operating now you may look at let's say my fiesta engine and you may look at a chevy cruise engine both four cylinders all right but uh, completely different dynamics so it's specific just like it is to the and it's a collective event it's the cam timing the amount of overlap and a lot of things change say, because of variable cam timing so you're changing a lot of you're not changing the physics of how the cylinder empties but you're you're either aiding it or restricting it so so that comes into play now bruce had a question about that 
about well, I mentioned a crossover pipe or, or, or I don't think I mentioned maybe I did I don't remember but he mentioned it a crossover pipe or an H pipe so in the exhaust and why that makes it more efficient well the thing basically is that you have to look at a production vehicle is is engineered from stem to stern and they're, they're engineered well but like anything in engineering it's a compromise so the fact of the matter is that sometimes they'll put an h pipe in sometimes they'll put a crossover what have you all right but um, we used to call it years ago a balance tube because what it's basically doing is you're having these exhaust events that are happening and some of them because of these pressure waves and like i said it's not steady state all right even though the engine is running steady state it's not steady state we have these pressure waves and you have these rarefaction waves which are less dense and of lower pressure so what will happen is that and we have a specific on, on a, obviously you can't have a crossover on a on a inline engine but you have a v-shaped engine so you have a you have one bank of cylinders another bank of cylinders and they're firing intermittently one side one on one side one on the other so now what the crossover basically does and that's why you want it as close to the engine as possible not 15 feet away all right because then again the further you get away from the exhaust port the less dynamics that it's going to have so this crossover is going to accomplish a couple of things what it's going to do it's going to it's going to allow these pressure waves to kind of balance out all right so because you have cylinder one firing cylinder eight firing cylinder two firing cylinder six firing so all right so you have the different firing orders and it's going to let it to balance out but is it going to balance out all the time no it's not going to balance out all the time because at, at lower throttle angles it may not have enough volume because of volume low volumetric efficiency but anyway so it's going to let the pressure balance out all right which is good all right but it's not going to but there's not going to be it's not going to be effective to every rpm range and every load range or it's usually effective more at the higher rpm and higher loads it's also going to let just because when you have back pressure you almost have a traffic jam in that exhaust system so just like going down the highway somebody's going 70 miles an hour something's going 50 one little old lady's going 35 in the left lane and this guy's going 90 miles an hour and zigzagging in and out these pressure waves are jockeying to get out just like in a nascar race they're jockeying for pole position to get out and the more pressure the more the more pressure that they have the stronger for lack of better terms this wave is all right it's going to be able to push the others aside so what that balance tube does it allows the the rarefaction waves to be able to be pushed over to the side right like you you, you know like just like you, you attract the trailer passes you're 90 miles an hour on the highway and my little fiesta boom the wind pushes me over and it shakes my car so it allows these waves to go there all right until they could get an exit to get out and then what will happen <clears throat> is that because you're potentially <clears throat> creating this rarefaction wave on the one side of the engine when a valve opens for blow down on the other side of the engine you push this rarefaction wave and you lowered the pressure in the exhaust system for that side of the engine and if you lowered <clears throat> lowered the pressure in the exhaust system in that particular cylinder that happens to be cracking the valve open the exhaust valve for blowdown will uh, will allow it to escape better so that's why there's an efficiency there or the potential for an efficiency 
But if you had <coughs> an engine and you were, uh, excuse me, <coughs> and you uh, ran it at very part, very light load, very low volumetric efficiency, for the most part, the balance tube or the whatever you would want to call it, the crossover, would probably do little to nothing. But it has so much to do. <coughs> you know, an agronomist's escape is read, you know, read and follow all label instructions. <coughs> An engineer escape is application specific, and I do this many times because you could take an engine, let's say, like my Lincoln. I had my Lincoln, my Mark Seven LSC, which I loved that car. I got engaged in that car. The thing was a beautiful car, all right. But I got rid of it to buy engagement ring. But anyway, uh, so uh, the thing is that that had a balance tube from the factory. Now sometimes the balance tube will also change the sound of the exhaust, which is good, all right. Usually in a positive sense, it'll probably it'll take the sharpness out of it, not necessarily the baritone, but the sharpness out of it. But my Lincoln had a balance tube because it had the, the A50 Mustang HO motor in it. But anyway, and it had like a shorty type of header on it right from the factory. So the thing is that, but that balance tube, you may find, now if I change the camshaft in it, and let's say I put a more aggressive camshaft in it, and I took the balance tube out, well, and then I put the balance tube back in, maybe I would pick up, I'm going to throw a number 10 horsepower at high RPM. And maybe when Lincoln did it, they figured they picked up two horsepower or three horsepower, or <clears throat> what they probably were more concerned with was not horsepower, they're probably more concerned with the pumping loss inside the engine, all right, which obviously will give you horsepower, but also give you fuel efficiency. So there's a lot of dynamics going on there. So the general foundationally, the rule of thumb is that a balanced tube will allow the rarefaction wave to go someplace, the slower, less powerful waves to get pushed to the side before they exit. Let the let the you know, let the bullies get out first. It'll has the possibility to and that's why they say, well, that you could scavenge because the scavenging effect of a cylinder is from that is from that rarefaction wave causing a low pressure region and it could pull the exhaust out so by having a balance tube you could help to exhaust or i'll say scavenge even though i don't like to use that word scavenge a cylinder on the other side of the engine whereas if you don't have at that balance tube the left side cannot help it help to scavenge the right side but keep in mind that that scavenging effect is not happening all the time it's not happening at every rpm and every load and that is why then again a transient operation transient speed operation engine is the hardest thing to calibrate it's the hardest thing to design because it is always a compromise and what you will look to do is you will look to minimize your compromises and say, well, hey, you know, we could do this at low RPM because the guy's not going to be there. He's going to pull right through it in th one second and, and what have you. So it's always a compromise. So keep in mind is that an engine, let me just look at my notes I made myself so I don't have to do this the third time that the crossover acts as storage. It acts for a, a, you know, a, like a shoulder on the side of the road. You're pulling off on the side of the road, this other guy goes riding your bumper to get, get, to get by. And it's really based upon the back pressure and the rarefaction waves. And the thing is that an engine does not like back pressure. And the closer that the back pressure is to the exhaust port, 
the restriction we say, we don't use the word back pressure, the restriction in the engineering community is to the exhaust port, the more effect it is going to have, the further it is away from the exhaust port, the less effect that is going to have. And you're always, so it's always good if you have a balanced tube, but it's but a lot of engines don't V-shaped engines, all right, because they 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 say well, it's going to cost us X amount of dollars to put it in. It's going to go. It's going to go. It's going to have a. Um, uh, we're going to heat the transmission pan with it and what have you. So it's not you know like anything in life. It's and it's not a rule of thumb and what. And just keep in mind that the dynamics, the science of exhaust, of the of the exhaust emptying the cylinder there's pressure there's heat there's different waves the of the, the throttle angle the engine speed you have the throttle angle the same all right let's say three quarters throttle and put more of a load on it and kill some of the engine speed or you uh, it, it's constantly changing it's fluid i hate to use that word but it's fluid and it actually works under the auspices of fluid dynamics because air is a fluid and it works under that auspices. So hopefully I didn't confuse you more. But Bruce, thank you for that. The gentleman, I forgot your name, sir. All right, don't worry about taking your catalytic converter. Don't bother to take your catalytic converters off unless you think they're restricted or they're rotted out. And you just, but don't do it. And and if you do, and if you do change the back pressure, it's going to like less back pressure. Is it going to give you? It all depends on how much the pumping losses. So, but in that particular instance, in, in a production vehicle, it's not going to do anything for you. It's not going to, it's the velocity of the exhaust that you need to maintain. And if whatever you did is you, if you did something that you identified as changing the back pressure and the engine made less power, then what happened is that you killed the exhaust velocity by whatever it was. So it was the exhaust velocity. So hopefully, hopefully Bruce and uh everybody else that i didn't mess you up some more but one other thing before i get into coolant and like i said different type of show today and hopefully you enjoy it but uh, another long time listener mike werner <clears throat> reached out to me from caledonia minnesota and uh he's been going back and forth he has a he and his friend have a, a newer f-150 50 engines and they had some I mean, nothing major, some issues with it, but uh, I think he's getting some, he sent me a letter. He also enjoyed the um, the podcast, the On the Road podcast with Matt Hagen. But anyway, and I thank you for that. And I actually sent that note over to Matt. But uh, the thing is that, you know, he's having some detonation. He had an oil control issue with the through the PCV system. It's an electronic system, and Ford had a reflash on it. And uh <clears throat> but anyway and he's the thing i sent i sent him an email but i don't know if he's going to see it the thing is that mike be patient with tecron be patient with tecron you may take six seven eight nine ten bottles of tecron through that truck all right but if but carbon deposits on the valve from oil are very 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 slow to be removed and they're very destructive as far as impeding the airflow is concerned and changing the air fuel ratio and not only changing the air fuel ratio but not having a nice even flow coming into that cylinder so you're going to have uh you're going to have pockets it's not it's not going to be a nice homogenized mixture 
you're going to have pockets that are richer or leaner in the cylinder because you have this blockage that's coming off the valve be patient with the tecron what i told you in the email is that i know it's your wife's truck and she drives it i don't know how she drives it i don't know what mileage she puts on i don't know anything about it but i would put six or seven bottles not the same time six or seven tanks back to back it may i don't know how much she drives it may take you two months to go through it but it's going to be well worth it all right because over time you're not going to dissolve oil caked on valve deposits very quickly and depending upon the driving she does but six seven eight i would put go 10 times so it costs you maybe 120 bucks to do this or maybe but it's not going to help you overnight it's going to take or take 10 or 12 8 7 or 8 6 tank loads whatever of gas to go through it but i i feel very very confident that's going to help your problem it's going to take care of your problem and if it doesn't then send me an email after you run six tanks of tech run through the whole problem is that people don't want to do that and if you remember a while back i had it just happened to be a ford also a gentleman had contacted me with an old ranger no power this that retarding the timing and i told him to do that and i even updated you guys on the podcast and i said he did he says the thing runs great he was on bottle number six but you got to do it back to back to back and most people won't do it they'll do it one or two times they'll forget about it oh, oh, too much was raining and i want to do it and i'm not saying that you're that way mike or your wife but human nature being what it is just like people don't historically the doctor gives you an antibiotic he tells you take the whole prescription even if you even if you feel better people don't take the whole prescription i feel better how with that and they don't take it all right so please do that before you start to look for somebody that's going to start to violate that beautiful engine that beautiful truck i feel very very confident that you could take care of that chemically chemical dissolving of those deposits those ivd intake valve deposits and ccd all right but you have to be patient it's not going to happen overnight and just re- so just, just 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 keep that in mind all righty 15 minutes into the show i didn't plan on talking about this that long and hopefully you enjoyed it but i hopefully that i was able to give you a better explanation of the dynamics of exhaust and you know and at this particular level you just need to understand it and you just basically need to to know that you know that's not a that an engine doesn't want back pressure okay so that's basically we'll leave it at that but let's talk about coolant now now we're getting into you know guys are running in the field they're planting they're pulling planters they're pulling tillage equipment maybe you, you whatever you're putting down whatever you're running maybe running a spray or what have you but anyway what i want to talk about today is to keep in mind that it is coolant and it is not antifreeze and i've discussed this before on the show but i feel that it's appropriate for me to bring it back up again because i don't want you to hurt your engines they say how the heck am i going to hurt my engine well you have to realize that coolant a coolant's job is to remove heat from the engine it is not the radiator's job to cool the engine it's the radiator's job to remove heat from the coolant it is the coolant's job that interfaces with the engine with the cylinder head with the cylinder bores the radiator doesn't just like you have seed to soil contact is what allows the the heat and the moisture transfer from the soil for the seed coat to break that god put on it and for the seed to germinate and start to come alive 
All right? So it's the coolant that, but now coolant, one aspect of coolant, one dimension of coolant is that it does not freeze. All right, so we have what we call antifreeze, but it's really a coolant, and it's a combination of glycols. <clears throat> Today, whether it's ethylene glycol, propylene glycol, once you get into the glycol families, there's 10 zillion. Just like if you look at corn seed, there's 10 zillion hybrids of corn seed, right? Or soybeans. So all different genetics, traits, what have you. And same thing happens with glycols. So, but they, the basic family are either ethylene or propylene glycols. And then there's a whole bunch of additives that are put in there to make it a coolant. And there's anti-corrosion additives because what is because you're putting mixing it with water. There's anti-foaming. There's 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 all different additives that make it uh, make it a uh, a coolant. So so it's not antifreeze. It's a coolant. Now the thing that I want to explain to you once again. And I'm saying that respectfully because I, if you've been a long-time listener of the show, that you've heard this before, is that when an engine is being worked, and why? Uh, let me put it this way: the thermal load, the thermal transfer into the coolant, is predominantly going to happen in the water jacket of the cylinder head, and around the exhaust valve and combustion chamber, because that's where the heat is. So it's going through the block around the bores is nowhere near as hot so that the hardest job for the coolant to, to have thermal transfer and coolant is a sponge it's got to pull that heat out of that cylinder head all right the thing is that is going to happen in the water jacket of the cylinder head <clears throat> and <clears throat> the amount of heat that the coolant is going to be exposed to just like the exhaust system is not steady state it's going to be key to the amount of fuel the engine is burning and because the more load the engine is put on the more fuel it's going to consume and the more heat that is going to be generated and thus what's going to happen is that the coolant is going to have to absorb more heat so now when an engine is idling there's less heat going into the coolant than there is when you're pulling up a a, a, a a big cedar a big air cedar across the field all right so so it's going to be intrinsically linked i'm repeating it to the amount to the btu content of the fuel that's being consumed now there is a i'll use the word phenomena for lack of better terms is that there's a phenomenon called nucleate, like nucleus, nucleate boiling. And when an engine is under load, the coolant is actually going to boil in the water jacket of the cylinder. This is not boiling over, this is not overheating, and for the most part, this is not seen on the liquid temperature gauge. And this nucleate boiling is what is going to have the fuel go from a liquid, the fuel, the coolant go from a liquid form to a gaseous or rarefied form and this boiling phenomena is going to pull the heat out of the casting of the cylinder head and then what's going to happen is the flow by the water pump and the pressure that is created by the radiator cap is going to now take this boiled coolant from nucleate n-u-c-l-e-a-t-e nucleate hopefully i spelled that right in my mind all right i can write it down but it's that it's going to take it it's going to push it away from that that spot on the combustion chamber the cylinder head in the in the water jacket and if the temperature is going to drop and once the temperature drops it is going to recondense 
So it's this boiling, it's this liquid phase change recondensing again that happens. So when, and this boiling scenario, this nucleate boiling scenario is going to consume the additive package. It's not going to, so it, it's, it's, it's going to basically consume it and eventually will consume some of the carrier, which is water, all right, some of the carrier, which is water, and that's why the cooling level will drop. But the most important thing that I want you to, to understand is that when, you, when this nucleate boiling occurs is that the additive package is going to be consumed ex, at an exponential rate than it is when nucleate boiling is not occurring. So let's say you're going to town in your pickup truck, right? You go into town, you're cruising, whatever, two-lane road, 60 miles an hour. F- probably, for the most part, there's no nucleate boiling going on in the cylinder. And now you want to go around this guy, and you whack it, right? So you whack it, and now you're producing 400 horsepower instead of the 60, 50 horsepower to go down the road. So now you're going, and inside the cylinder head, the temperature went up because the combustion temperature went up because you're burning more fuel all right and now the nucleate boiling starts to happen in the cylinder head now you get around the guy and you release the throttle get back down the nucleate boiling ceases i'm not going to say it's mechanically linked to the throttle but it's linked to the temperature there all right so so what happened is during that nucleate boiling you consume that slight 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 bit of the additive package just like you do a brain you do a burnout with a tire right you're taking a little bit of tread light off tread life off tread life off you do some burnouts with a tire it's not going to last fifty thousand miles right it's not the tires fault you burn the rubber off so the thing is that now that additive package helps against cavitation it helps against electrolysis it helps against corrosion it helps about all those different things if you go with a hydrometer or a refractometer the boiling point if you didn't change the water to ethylene to water to glycol i should say ratio the boiling point and the freeze point has not changed but all your protections have diminished so now why is it so important during the planting season all right because you're really working that engine on the farm and the thing is that so you're pulling a piece of tillage equipment you're pulling a cedar or a planter all right so now you're going across the field you're happy dumb and happy sitting in the cab all right having it on auto steer with the ac cranking listening to this podcast or playing on your telephone or something all right but you're working that engine and you and the nuke and that so you're in the field for whatever five hours six whatever an hour 15 minutes instead of that nucleate boiling is happening in every cylinder during that whole time that that tractor or that truck is on is on is under that load scenario so the thing is that i like to make a a, make it a piece of farm equipment because it's a much better and example of you consuming the additive package because even a semi you could be going up a hill and she'll start the nucleate boil and then you're on the flatlands and maybe you have a little bit of boiling not much you're just on the verge of nucleate boiling of course you're not producing that power but if you take if you take a a, a tractor a farm tractor 
or a combine during the fall and you're putting it and you're going hey you had a great crop and you're putting a lot through that feeder house there's a lot of a lot of a lot of yield there through that feed house that engine is working and if you're in the field for 10 hours there's 10 hours of nuclear nucleate boiling going on versus your pickup truck that you went and you jumped on it on the way to town and you had nucleate boiling for 10 seconds so now if you're going to be pulling a lot of trailers with your pickup truck and you're constantly loading the engine all right then you're going to have a the duty cycle of it going into nucleate boiling is going to be much longer so it's that nucleate boiling that is going to consume that air package and like doing a burnout with a tire every time it goes into nucleate boiling you're going to have a little bit of additive package consumed a little bit consumed but you're in the field during planting season and you're and you're working that thing for hours upon hours that coolant is you you say well, that hot rod farm is full of it because the temperature gauge looks fine the temperature i'm not talking about the coolant's doing its job and remember all right the thing basis but you're consuming that coolant you're consuming the additive package and you're opening up that engine to electrolysis you're opening it up to cavitation you're opening up to corrosion the the water pump lubricant is being consumed so very very important and if you are down in a hot climate you're in florida you're in louisiana all right and you, and it's hot and you're working that tractor engine that and i'll, I'll stick with tractor. you're working that tractor engine you're you're it's like doing burnouts all day long all right the tires are bald at the end of the day you are happy as anything because the coolant is the right color green or whatever or orange whatever it is right whatever whatever color coolant which represents the chemical composition and it makes no difference so it's very very important the take-home message here is don't think of it as antifreeze think of it as coolant and i'm not expecting you to come out of the field right now stop planting all right and go there and change the coolant the good thing about a big diesel is that use a test strip and look what additives need to be put back into it but historically even if you just use a supplemental coolant additive look for one that is going to be a better one and may have a water pump lubricant in it. but if you could keep that chemistry just like in your sprayer tank right if you could keep that chemistry proper then you could go and you could run that engine load it day upon day hour upon hour let it go through nucleate boiling and have a coolant not an antifreeze a coolant in that engine that is going to protect it more engines are ruined diesel engines on the farm are ruined and it's it goes for any engine but the diesel engine on the farm is particularly a worker right the thing is that you have a boat with a closed cooling system same thing because you're always working it but anyway more engines are ruined by depleted additive packages in coolant than they are frozen in the winter time or anything else so keep that in mind and you know get a test strip send somebody to town get a test strip get some scas if it's depleted i'm not saying stop planting and start to drain out 10 gallons of coolant and put it in there but then if you have but then you, what you want to do is eventually change it so please keep that in mind that it's very 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 important that it's just as important as seed to soil contact for germination for you to maintain it and that nucleate boiling is going to happen when that engine is under high thermal load in the cylinder head not the temperature gauge in the cylinder head and when you are working it and very 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 important so listen 
We're a little bit more than an hour now. I want to thank you so much. We don't have another letter today because Bruce's letter was basically the, uh, the a good part of the show. So hopefully I didn't confuse you. Hopefully uh, you understand that. And like I said, I'm not trying to make you an engineer, but the more things that you understand in life and everything that I spoke about with the exhaust is just as, makes no difference what the engine is, whether it's gasoline, whether it's diesel, whether it's carbureted, whether it's turbocharged, whether it's supercharged, whether it's on a lawn tractor or in a combine or in a Mississippi riverboat, because I know we have some listeners that are on a Mississippi riverboat. So you know, just keep them on and, and hopefully you enjoyed it and please look at that coolant check that coolant because that nucleate boiling is what is going to be is the 800 pound gorilla in the room that a lot of people don't know is there and then you start to get some cavitation in that cylinder and you start to cavitate that coolant and you pop a liner on that diesel engine and hydro lock that motor well even i think when i before i started the show today i think I think uh, beans was over $17 a bushel. $17 a bushel beans is nothing for you when you blow up a $40,000 engine, all right? So just keep that in mind. So I want to thank you so much, and just know that the Hot Rod Farmer is pulling for you, the American farmer and rancher, and my beloved, beloved America. Have a blessed day, and I'll catch you next week. Bye-bye.